everybody else. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. While you're there, I'm going to try to remember every Sunday to kind of give y'all an update of what's going on here at the church. A very quick one, hopefully. You know how good I am at brief things. Um, as you can see, a lot of sheetrock has gone up in the last two weeks. Uh, what you haven't seen is sheetrock has gone up in the sanctuary, sheetrock has gone up in the foyer, and they are beginning to do prep work for painting in the children's building. Uh, first floor, yes, yay. Um, you can clap for any of that, I'm fine with that, it's, it's, this is good stuff. Uh, they have begun, and here's the big clap if you want to hold your applause to the end, they have begun the roof on the children's building, finally, finally. Um, the weather is not cooperating, I mean, it's great today, right, but it's not cooperating otherwise, so they are, I mean, there, there may be some days where they work for 30 minutes and stop for four hours because of the rain, but they are committed to working in the gaps. Um, so, progress is being made. Uh, goals for this week would be probably uh, getting this all taped and floated and uh, a coat of primer on the sheetrock by next Sunday. That's, that's the goal. Who knows? Who knows? But that's the goal. So, that's where we are. We have made more progress in the last three weeks than we have made in the previous nine months. So, uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. It gets hectic during the day sometimes, but it is worth it. So, we're excited about the, the progress that's being made. This morning, we are looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. We're continuing our series, uh, my, uh, That's My Jesus, Knowing the One We Worship. And let me just throw this out there for you. If you are on Facebook or you are on the Faith Life app, if you have access to either of those things, then there's a song that we're going to start learning next Sunday. Normally, we just introduced a new song last week called Praises the Offering. We sang it again this morning. Normally, I don't like to introduce new songs that close together, but the name of the song is called, or the name of the song is My Jesus, and so we just had to do it during this series. So the praise team is working on it. We're having to learn it in a hurry, too. We normally practice longer on songs than we have this one, but you can help by going and listening to it and learning that song for next Sunday because it goes great with this series. Knowing the one we worship. Uh, last week we looked at uh, Ephesians uh, 1, 20-23, our one king. This week we're looking at Hebrews, our one priest. Knowing Jesus, that's the whole purpose. As I, as I prepare the sermon, as I I go and I read the passage. I've got the passages for the next four weeks after today. I know what we're going to be looking at as I study and read about those passages and begin to get the meaning, the context, and all of that of the passage. I keep in mind, I even had to remind myself this week as I was preparing, know Jesus better. Knowing the one we worship. And that is the purpose of these six sermons, five of them left uh, in this series, is to know Jesus better. So you may not walk out of here, though I think with this passage you will walk out of here with maybe a to-do list, a short list of where you need to understand, uh, do some things differently, certainly. Uh, anytime we come to Scripture, that should be the case. But the main thing you should walk out with on this Sunday morning and the next four is, I know Jesus better now than I did when I walked in. If you can say that, then I will have succeeded in my goal and purpose for these messages. So, our one priest this morning uh, from Hebrews, it has come and gone, and it's been all messed up for us the last couple of years, but Normally, April 15th is a pretty big day for us around the country. We, we fill out forms to tell the government what we think we owe them in taxes, and they will get back to us and tell us if we were right or not. 
but they can't tell us before we fill out the forms, right? It, it's, it's a bit crazy the way we do it, um, but that's what we do. We fill out the forms, and they let us know, yep, you're right, we owe you money, no, you're wrong, you us, owe us money, or something like that. That, that daily, or that rather yearly accounting for all of our income the previous year and, and what the government says is their portion of that happens on that day. Now we prep for it and a lot of us send our taxes off because who can understand that mess, especially a minister, uh, we can't. We send it off, we have somebody else do it and we get it back and we send it in. The Jews did something similar in their lives. It wasn't related to finances, it was related to sin. But they did something similar with their sin on the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur is what, it's, uh, what we call it now, though that's not a, a great translation. It, it, it's, it works for us. The, the Day of Atonement, they, they come and, and there's an accounting for all of their sins on the, over the past year. And, and there's some preparation that goes into it, but the, the ultimate accounting is, is not all of them, uh, though that is part of the, the, the ceremony. It's the one guy going in, the, the high priest going in and doing it for everybody, Sat making the sacrifice in the uh, uh, outer court of the temple, I believe, or maybe the inner court, uh, I think it's the outer court, and then moving through into the Holy of Holies with the blood to sprinkle on the, uh, the mercy seat. One person with one sacrifice. Wouldn't it be nice if, if that happened to us on tax day? That there was one person with access to one account that covered our taxes Every year. Now they had to go in and they had to do their filing every year and they had to but but we knew when they filed our taxes were covered. Now maybe we even had to keep track of it the the, the rest of the year and, and we had to present something as they went in and say, Oh yeah, this is it. All right, I got it, but but I'm gonna go in and do this one filing for all of us. Well, that's what the high priest did, but had to go back every year. Jesus took our sin account, took all of our sins, went to the altar, brought the, the paperwork. It was, it was all done perfectly. No, no errors, no, no date was left unfilled in, no, no signature was illegible. It was, it was all done exactly the way it should have been done. And he didn't have to go back year after year. That's the context of this passage. That the account due has been paid in full the one time no longer needing a yearly accounting for sin. No, nobody's going to do that with your taxes, by the way. Continue to file your taxes as the government tells you or you'll go to jail. We see in this context of Hebrews chapter 4, five characteristics of Jesus in his role as what the author here calls uh, him, and uh, how the uh, author here describes him as the great high priest. Five characteristics of Jesus. Read verses 14 through 16 with me. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Five characteristics of Jesus here in his role as a great high priest. Now, within those characteristics are going to be some responsibilities on our part, and we'll get to those as we as we go, but we need to see how we need to see Jesus in this. 
And then we see how we respond to him. The first characteristic that we see of Jesus is in verse, the first half of verse 14. That he is superior. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, we've got this high priest who is Jesus, uh, the Son of God, as it says, highly exalted. In verses 1 through 3, we see this, highly exalted, superior to Moses, Aaron, and the Levitical priest, uh, designated as the Son of God. Does that say Son of Go? I didn't put some Egyptian God up there. That's not what that is. I just, my typing. That should be Son of God, not Son of Go. My one mistake for the year. Uh, <laughs> don't form the committee. I was joking. I don't, I don't think I'm perfect. The son of, designated the Son of God. He is superior to all of them. The, the author, and I'm going to say the author because nobody knows who wrote Hebrews. My professor, when I was doing my doctoral seminar, believes strongly it was Luke, wrote a whole book about it, so I say Luke. But it doesn't matter. We're not talking about that today, but that's just some trivia for you. Uh, the author here is, is, is making the case from the very beginning, from, from the second verse of the, the, the letter, the, the sermon really is what he wrote. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by the son, his son. So from the beginning, the, the author is setting up Jesus as above, as superior to everyone else. Every other form of religion, every other form of government, every other form of inspiration, no matter what the, the you, you had the prophets, you had these guys, but now God is speaking through his son, through himself. He's superior over the high priests. That's the main context here. Now, the high priest on a yearly basis, had an extremely important job. I already talked about it a little bit. Once a year, he took the blood of a sacrifice into the Holy of Holies and he sprinkled it in there. And while there, he's representing all the people of Israel and he is atoning for all of their sins. But before he could go in, before he could take the blood in there, he had to wash himself. He had to purify himself for some time before that. And he actually had to make a sacrifice for himself first. He had to purify himself. So he was in his sinful state. He had to make a sacrifice. And only then could he take the blood into the Holy of Holies for the nation. And he had to do that every year. And after a certain number of years, age took over and he either retired or died. And another high priest, someone else had to do it. And, and down through the ages, a different high priest, a new high priest, over and over and over doing this work. But it, was, it, it sounds like it's this great uh, uh, extended period of time that he did it. This was actually a very quick thing. He would make his sacrifice for himself, then they would make the sacrifice for all the people. And he would take the blood into the Holy of Holies. But on his robe, on his cloak, he wore a whole bunch of bells. And around his waist, or his leg, as I understand it, he wore a rope, a tether. The bells were to let him know he was still moving. The rope was to yank him out if he wasn't. He had to go in perfect. And if he sinned while in the Holy of Holies, and you don't want to stick around long because we know how we are, right? So you get in, you get out. You don't hang around there in long enough to sin in case the Lord would strike him down while he was in there. And we see in various places in the Old Testament people being struck down for bringing uh, bad offerings and... Uh, for touching the ark when it was about to fall. We read a number of places uh, through the Old Testament where that happens. So he was in, he was out. Don't mess up while you're in there and make sure you're good enough before you go in. 
Well, we see the superiority of Jesus to that, right? Jesus was superior to the high priest. The, the high priest did it once a year. Jesus did it once for all, and he didn't take the blood of a lamb. He took his own blood, the blood of the lamb, and he took it directly to God, not to a, a, a mercy seat, not to a place where God would come down and dwell for a moment while that was happening, but directly to God himself. Jesus didn't represent just the people of Israel. He represented all people. He was taking the sins of everyone to God, but he also, in his divinity, represented God. He was God sacrificing himself, God in the flesh doing what only God could do, satisfying the debt that was owed. He was the pure and spotless lamb already. So where the priest had to make a sacrifice for himself, Jesus did not. He had to atone for nothing in his own life. There was no concern that when he got to the throne, he would be found lacking in some way. That he would be found sinful and need the bells on the cloak or the rope to pull him back out with. And the high priest going in briefly and getting out as soon as he can. By contrast, Jesus, when he was done, Romans tells us, he sat down at God's right hand. And we talked about this two weeks ago when it, where, where, uh, when it was over. And where he still sits today in the Holy of Holies, in the holiest place, in the presence of God. Jesus is superior to the high priest. And this is important because the author here is most likely talking to former priests. People who had served the temple. Acts tells us that many priests, and I don't remember what chapter that's in, maybe three or four, something along in there. Many priests came to, that's not right, a little later. Anyway, many priests came to faith. People who were, as, as, the, as the, the disciples witnessed in the temple and witnessed at the colonnade, it was priests who were coming to Jesus. And then they were beginning to wonder and worry and, and, and we're going to find out, have some persecution. So they understand, as the author writes to the priests, they understand this imagery and this, this significance. They are now seeing Jesus in a whole new way. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the one who takes the sacrifice. They would understand their insignificance now as far as people needing them to approach God. They were out of a job, right? They were the ones that had to go into the temple and do the temple stuff in order to atone. The high priest did it, but there were sacrifices at the temple every day. People brought sin offerings and all sorts of offerings, and, and they did all this work constantly. And now, because of Jesus, these priests are out of a job. They didn't have the work to do because people could approach God. You have direct access to God. This is what we as Southern Baptists call, and other groups as well, priesthood of the believer. You don't need a priest or a pastor to go to God. You don't need any mediator. There is one mediator, Jesus Christ, and when you accept him by faith as your Savior, you then have direct access to God. Any, any pastor that wants, that's worth his salt, will have every opportunity for you to pour out whatever is going on in your life. Pastor, can you pray for me? Sure. But my prayer is no more powerful than your prayer. It's not like you've got to go through a switchboard and i got a direct line. Young people, don't worry about that illustration. I can't even think of one that y'all would get, so forget it. Just you, you don't need anybody to talk to him for you, okay? You don't need that. You've got the access that you need. So, you don't have to go to confession. 
You don't have to take your prayers to somebody else. It is fine and wonderful and good in community to do that sort of thing. But you don't have to in order to reach God. He is available for you. Second characteristic we see of Jesus is his sonship. Not really a word, but we're going to use it anyway. His sonship, his status as the son. Jesus, the son of God, it says. And then tells us to hold fast to that confession that he is the son of God. But not just there, but, but, but not just to that, but to a full understanding of who Jesus is. But that, that hold fast, that phrase, means to cling with determination. The, the mood in this word is, and I've talked about this before, it is a subjunctive mood. It, it really ought to almost have may in front of it. Let us maybe hold fast. What does that mean? It means that we can let go. That we can lose the confession. Not that we lose our salvation, but that we lose the grip on who Jesus is. The, the world, and in this case, uh, uh, temptation to give up through, because of persecution, will rip that out of our hands if we are not holding fast, clinging with determination. It, it, uh, our ability to hold on to it is conditional upon our effort. The guys that were hearing this sermon or reading it later on, the priests knew that there was a temptation to return to those empty sacrifices. Those are easy. Y'all, works are easy. Faith is hard. Really? It's easy to do works? Yes, it is. If, you, if, if I give you a list of 10 or even 100 things, at least you know what you, you need to do. And you may fail at a bunch of them. You may say it's just not worth it. But at least you know. I, 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 well, I got 99, not 100. That's a passing grade in school, but in this case it's not. <sighs> well, well, shoot. Faith not a list. You can't, you can't grab it. You can't hold on to it. The, 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 we hold fast to our faith, but what are we holding on to? We're holding on to our confession. We're holding on to our Savior. We're holding on to the one who can take us through. Works are easy. Faith is hard. Hold fast to that faith. And, and the, 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 the sacrifices, the work of sacrifices would have been easy. As long as, I do the, as long as the guy does the sacrifice every year, I'm good. I saw it. I see it. The animal's dead. The blood went in. The guy came out. I made it. One more year, I'm covered. Faith says, put your trust in the unseen. The, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. That, that's what faith is. It's, it is. It is hard. And when the temptation to return to the easy work of works is combined with persecution to join in on those works, then the temptation is incredible. So we have to hold fast. We hold fast to the confession of who Jesus is. That's my Jesus. Knowing the one we worship, we hold fast to what we know. That he is, in this case, in the, in the case of the writer of Hebrews, he is the divine son. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is the final sacrifice for sin and salvation. He is the last lamb that had to be slaughtered. But not only is he the sacrifice, he is the one who took the sacrifice of himself into the throne room of God and now sits at God's right hand in a mediatorial role. He is the one that sits next to God. And when the accuser shows up, it is Jesus that says, he's got no authority here, that one's mine. 
Yes, they accuse him. Yep, he sinned, but the blood's on him. I've covered him. He's good. Here's the sacrifice. There's his faith. The mediator speaks for us. So we hold fast to that. We hold fast to the confession of who he is. And then we must ask the question, what good now is the sacrifices of men? What good now is our own work? Can I get myself any closer to God than Jesus is right now? Answer is no. What good now is a return to a system dependent on sheep when the Lamb of God has been slain? That would be the question the priests were asking. What good is it for you to think by your own strength you can get closer to God than Jesus already is? What good now is a dependence on a fallen man, the high priest, for whom a sacrifice must be made when the Son of God has sacrificed Himself? Jesus has done the work. Why would we be tempted to fall back on our own works? Jesus, thirdly, is sympathetic. Verse 15, the first part, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses. He is sympathetic to our weaknesses because he had them. Go away, screen. Well, you don't have to look at it that way. Because he had them. He had hunger. He had thirst. He Stubbed his toe. He had acne when he was 13 through 17. He, he had every weakness that we have. And in his humanity, he knew the temptation to give up. Listen to him in the garden. Listen to him pray. Father, let this cup pass from me. But not my will. But yours be done. This, this idea of a sympathetic God, a, a, a sympathetic deity, one who had spent time with us and understood us and, and lowered himself to become a man. The only time the gods of old, the, the mythological gods, the fake gods, the only time they ever became human-like was to satisfy their own carnal cravings. Read Greek mythology. Read why we even have a guy named Hercules in mythology. That's the only reason in their system the gods, who aren't really gods, came down was for themselves. In this instance, the God who is and was and is to come became human not for himself, yes, to bring glory to himself, but not for carnal desires, but to be an offering for us to serve, not to be served. And in doing so, he took on our weakness of flesh. So he knows our weaknesses and he knows our temptations. It says right here, he sympathizes with our weaknesses and he has been tempted in every way as we are. Now this is not every temptation Ever. This is every type of temptation ever. He's experienced all the ways that we would be tempted. He was fully human, so his flesh felt hunger and thirst. When the devil said, you hungry? Turn these stones into bread. The body went, ooh, yeah, do that. That would be great because I'm so hungry. But he was fully God, so the God in him, and they weren't separate they weren't two parts warring against each other that he was a hundred percent both each not one laid over the other but so intertwined that we cannot describe the here's your big word for the day hypostatic union of the humanity and the divinity of jesus but that's how what it was so there was no war in him to not sin but there was the temptation to do it he was fully human and fully God. In describing our, uh, his, his ability to sympathize with us, 
Kent Hughes uh, compared him to two pianos in the same room. If you have two pianos that are tuned perfectly, and you go to one side, one piano, and you play a note on that piano, the string that plays that note on the second piano will vibrate. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but in, uh, I haven't heard it as much in here, but in the sanctuary we had it a lot. Certain notes that we would play, certain chords that we would uh, uh, play on a song, the snare drum has metal wires underneath it, and that's what gets it, gives it that sound when uh, Cindy hits it. Certain notes will make that, those wires go when she's not playing. She's not doing anything, and that snare drum's going That's called sympathetic resonance. Do this at home if you're, if you're just really a nerd. Uh, if you go into you'll find a note, particularly in a corner of your bathroom, that suddenly feels like it vibrates the walls. There, there's a note that, that your sheetrock and your tile and your mirror or whatever it is that responds to sympathetic resonance. When we hurt, when we go through temptation, when we struggle, whatever strikes that note in our lives, whatever note it hits, because of his weakness, because he took on our flesh, the same note in Jesus vibrates. He feels what we feel because he was human. It, he resonates sympathetically with us. best part is when he feels that note within him vibrate it's 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 the bat signal right it's the it's it's the going uh, the 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 spotlight going up and call him batman it's it's uh it's the spidey sense for spider-man he knows it and he gets to respond he doesn't get to he chooses to respond by dampening the string in our lives. If it's, if it's doing it back here, if this drum is vibrating and making that noise, all you got to do is put your hand underneath it. Cover it up. Stop it from vibrating and it doesn't make any noise anymore. That's what Jesus can do. That's his sympathy for us. But not only is he sympathetic, and not only does he command sonship, and not only is he superior, and yes, I did it, alliteration. Braylon, if you ever watch this sermon, here's my alliterative sermon. Jesus is steadfast. Steadfast. He has our weakness. He has our temptation, but he did not have our sin. Verse 15b, yet without sin. Our weaknesses, our temptation in every way, yet without sin. In this context, in Hebrews, it is a specific temptation. It is giving up under difficulty or persecution. But the, the application here is that it is all sin, or rather all temptation that he has experienced without sin. But if we go to context, if we hear what this text is saying to us, then we're talking about the priests who are being tempted under persecution to go back to the old way, to fall back on their works, to trust themselves, and to say, Jesus, I don't know how you can get me through this. Has that been an emotion any of you have felt over, say, maybe the last year or 80? Depending on where you fall in that spectrum. I'm pretty sure most of us have wondered if God will ever get us through. Jesus, do you even understand? And he says, yes, I understand. 
when I was tempted to give up, when I was tempted to take a shortcut at the temptation on the mountain when, he, when, the, when Satan showed up after his baptism. Jesus, we can, we can cut this off right now. The three years you got coming and the, the thing at the end, you know, you, 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 know, you won't have to do that. I'll, you get it all right now. Nope, no shortcuts. And at the end, when the temptation was even greater to give it up, to say, no, not this way. No, not this cup. He never gave up on his calling. He was never disobedient. Not once. But Jesus, you don't know how hard it is to continue through this difficulty. And he says, boy, yes I do. Girl, yes I do. Every time that hits your note, I feel it, he says. My string hums. I know what you're going through. He knows what we're struggling with. He knows the temptation to quit. And he didn't. He was steadfast through those trials. He was steadfast in his obedience. And he says, I got the same thing for you. When the string hums in me, I can come and I can dampen the noise in your life. I can stop that string from humming because verse 16 and the final characteristic he is selfless therefore the author says let us approach since we since we know all this about him since we we know the confession we know he is the son of god we we know he has taken on our weaknesses and been tempted in every way but without sin therefore since you know who he, he is and what he is and what he's about. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Since we know he has taken the blood directly to God, since we know he is the final sacrifice, approach the throne. Our priest is ready to hear us. You go to a friend, a pastor, or a priest to confess, and maybe that person you're talking to just doesn't understand what you're going through. Maybe that person says, boy, you should have seen me. Girl, I can tell you about falling into that one. He doesn't, can't. That's going to mess the whole thing up. But our priest does not have the same failings. Your pastor wants to quit a lot. Chuck it. Give up. Forget it. It's not worth the fight. It's not worth the difficulty. Your Savior never says that. He's not a human priest with our same failings. When you want to quit, Jesus says, approach the throne. The veil is torn at the cross. It is finished when he spoke the words. The veil separating the holy of holies from the holy place was torn from the top to the bottom. Opening it up, opening up our access to God. We now have access to the holy of holies. This throne that we can approach is, is right where the Son is sitting next to God, our, uh, the Son, our Savior, our great high priest, whose work is completed, who finished it at the cross. He sits as co-regent, right? We talked about that two weeks ago at the end of Romans. As co-regent, equal with the Father. He says, approach the throne. Come unto me, all, all, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Approach the throne with bold, free, and open speech. Approach the throne with an open outpouring of the heart that says, Jesus, I just can't do it anymore. And hear him say, I know you can't, but I can. That's the Jesus who sits on the throne That's our priest 
who is ready to hear us. It is our priest who is ready with mercy. Approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy. It is there for you to receive. Mercy is a pardon undeserved. Here's the thing. We've all quit. We've all stopped. We've all given up. We've all fallen back into I'll earn it somehow. We've all said, I can't do it anymore, therefore I am not going to do it anymore. We have all failed. We have all struggled. We all need a pardon. Receive mercy when you do quit. Because we have and we will because we aren't perfect. He put it right here for us. Jesus, the sympathetic one who knows our weaknesses and has experienced our temptation and says that we have all the abilities that he has, we have all the strength that he has, says, but come to the throne and receive mercy. Because you are going to fail. And when you come for mercy, our priest is ready also with grace. Grace, help, and favor to overcome the coming temptation and trial. We, maybe we're not coming for the mercy of forgiveness. Maybe we're coming for the mercy to stop. Maybe it's the mercy of putting us out of our misery. And Jesus says, I have not just, I have not just mercy for you. I've got grace for you. The coming temptation may be worse than the last one, but I'm here the string will resonate with me. I will know when you experience it. And maybe the grace is to start over again when we have failed. Lord Jesus, I know. I quit. I gave up. I trusted me and not you. I did not hold fast my confession. Here is the mercy of forgiveness and the grace to start again when we failed. Our priest is ready to help us in time of need. He is ready every time we need it. Receive mercy and find grace. Those two words, receive and find, they're ideas with ongoing results. We get to do it over and over and over again. When we approach the throne, we will receive mercy and we will find grace. Mercy and grace are at the ready because he knows we'll need it over and over and over and over and over. Have you ever, in, in family life or in a job, there's just this one thing that that either a, a co-worker or an employee or a, a child or a spouse, they always lose or they always run out of, probably lose, and you probably find it. And, and, and it's such a habit, such a regular occurrence, that they don't even have to say anything anymore, do they? They come in and go, you're going, lost it again, didn't you? Yeah. They have it. They have the replacement. They, they have what you lost. Yeah, I found them in the yard. I found it. It was in the car. It was whatever. Yeah. Here you go. One more time. I, I, without the sarcastic expression, that's how I see Jesus on the throne. We come did it again one more time and he goes you got it again mercy grace it's all yours boy see you next time that's what we get over and over and over and just as I said at the beginning just as you must determined to hold fast your confession, 
you must also determine to approach, receive, and find. Those verbs are also in the subjunctive mood, the, the may mood. As a matter of fact, uh, receive, it says in, in the CSB, so that we may receive mercy. Does it mean that he might give it out or might not give it out? No, that's not the may. The may is that we may actually approach. But we have to do it. We have to determine to approach and receive and find this mercy and grace. I have to decide to go to the throne even when I'm embarrassed. I have to decide to approach him when I know I've failed. We have to Allow him to give us mercy and receive that and say, but I don't, you know, I'm not going to, never mind, never mind, Jesus. I, I just, no, no, the, the mercy is there, receive it. The grace is there, receive it. Jesus is our one priest. Hold tightly to that. You will need it. Today, tomorrow, I don't know, right now, Hold tightly. You can trust that Jesus resonates with our weaknesses and temptations. You can trust when the note is struck in us, it vibrates in Him. Believer, will you approach the throne? Will you find mercy? Will you find grace? I don't know where you are. I don't know what you've been tempted to give up on. And I don't know what you have given up on. But you will not be forced to the throne. You will not be forced to approach him and receive mercy and find grace. Will you go to the throne today? Unbeliever. The sacrifice is made. The lamb has been slain the last time the, it's over. It is finished. The blood has been brought to God. The sacrifice has been made. Unbeliever, once and for all, for your sins, Jesus has died. There will be no other opportunity. There will be no other way. There is no sacrifice you can make. There is no work you can accomplish to atone for your sins. Will you trust Jesus today, will you approach the throne? It is just as open for the unbeliever to find salvation as it is for the believer to find mercy and grace because it is the same mercy and it is the same grace that saves us. Will you approach the throne this morning? Will you find mercy you don't deserve forgiveness for your sins, and yet it is there. Will you find grace? Will you find the unmerited favor that lavishes you with love and the inheritance of Jesus Christ? You won't be forced. The Lord will let you go about your way. If you choose not to trust him. But if you choose to approach the throne this morning for salvation. Come admitting that you're a sinner. That you need the sacrifice. That you need the atonement. It's been not just a year of sin but a life of sin. And because of that sin you are separated from God for eternity. And the sacrifice of animals, the sacrifice of you will not save you. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Hold tight to the confession. The Son of God come to earth knowing our weaknesses, knowing our temptation, but without sin. Dying on the cross for our sins. Taking our punishment. Three days later, rising from the grave. Believe in Jesus and then choose to follow him. Approach him today and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to save me. And he will be your one priest. Pray with me. Father, thank you that we have a great high priest that never leaves the altar, never leaves your side, but gives constant intercession, is a mediator for us. 
but is a source of grace and mercy when we boldly approach the throne, pouring our heart out to him. Lord, thank you that you have put a sympathetic resonance in Jesus for every one of us. That when we are struck by temptation, when we are struck by persecution, by difficulty, that string vibrates in him. And most importantly, Lord, thank you that you have empowered him to dampen the note in our lives. To come alongside us in persecution and difficulty and in temptation, sympathetic to us. I pray for believers who are listening this morning to this message to, to, to come boldly to the throne today with whatever it is in their lives that they need to put at his feet. And I pray for unbelievers who have never approached the throne for salvation and they are scared to come into the holiness of God. But, but I pray that you would work on their hearts, that they would not be, that they would seek salvation today. We pray for a mighty move of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do you need to respond today? Do you need to accept Christ? Believer, this is not the most, most comfortable place to kneel, but there are some blocks to kind of kneel on if you want to, the speakers, whatever. If you want to come and bring something up here, there is nothing special about this, but there is something special about you getting out of your seat and changing your posture and bringing something to the Lord. Maybe you need to do that today. If you would like to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you'd like somebody to pray with you, Tom will be at the back. Uh, he would be more than happy to pray with you, talk to you about salvation. A couple of our deacons would be back there with him as well, and you could talk to them. Whatever your decision is today, I pray that you would approach boldly the throne and let God do business with you this morning as we stand and sing.